Good stuff, good stuff. So we're going to jump right into it today, Philippians 2. I love, personally love the ESV. I think it's a really, does a really good job, the English Standard Version does a really good job if you're questioning about choosing a Bible translation for your devotional life. The ESV does a really good job uh, of, of maintaining the integrity of the original languages and at the same time putting it into a comprehensible, modern, contemporary language that can be understood. Not the KJV, not the King James, do, don't, dost and thous and these and me's and I don't like that stuff. But apparently it's coming back. I don't know. It's, uh, people are bringing back their KJV. There's like a KJV only club. I don't know what that's about, but if you're in that, no judgment, no judgment. So we're in Philippians 2, Philippians 2, chapter, tw- uh, chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. That's the pericope that we are going to tackle today. And the title of this message today is called, is called Walk Worthy of the Call. Walk Worthy of the Call. How many walkers we have here today? Raise your hand if you're a walker. You just like to get up in the morning. You like to run around the block. You like to get burn those calories. We got Actually, I'm not going to call any names, but I think we have some professional walkers in the building, people. Hey, no, no pointy fingers, Hannah. No pointy. I think we have some professional walkers in this building. So if you want to take some tips, but... The message today is called Walk Worthy of the Call, because I think there's a heavy call in each of our lives. I believe that. I believe that there's an enormous call over your life, that God wants to, to do something spectacular through you and in you, according to his good pleasure. And it's incredible. When we, when we recognize the call of God on our lives, we, we realize the, the importance and the enormity of the significance of the work that we do. We don't just exist but we are propelled into the mission field of God to share the gospel, the greatest message that this earth has ever been blessed with, the good news of Jesus, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do through his people, through his sonship on the cross, and ultimately what he wants to do and partner with through those who have been also sent from the Father. And it's amazing that Jesus actually partners with us in the mission of God, right? So to say that there's not a call on your life is to say that there wasn't a call on Jesus' life. Because if we share in the mission of Jesus, his work becomes our work. If his work was significant enough for him to give his life for, how much more so, right, for us who are servants of the master, right, to serve him in greatest devotion, and to surrender all that we have to live fully for Him, right? That makes sense, right? That we should give and surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender. So the message today, walk worthy of the call. So we're going to read it. I'm going to read the, the full thing here from verses 12 to 18, and then we're going to break it down. All right, sound good? All right, here we go. I'm, I'm reading not from the ESV. I'm reading from the NIV. I'm repenting right now. I'm repenting. All right, this is like my, my preaching Bible, so got the ESV. All right, so it says, shining like stars. Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now how much more so in my absence, continue to work out, hear that Canadian, out, your salvation with fear and trembling. Somebody say fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Come on, man, that's a sermon right there. You could just stop right there. Do everything without complaining or arguing. How many of you are just like, you just you like to grumble? You're just like a grumbler. You like to complain. You like to argue. You like to grumble. You just not, no, no. Some of you I know, we like to grumble. We're, we're, the, we're the grumbling party. 
But it says, it's amazing. There's a verse that says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And now here's a verse that says, do what? Everything without complaining or arguing, right? That word is literally grumbling. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. It wasn't for waste, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Come on, somebody say amen. That's a good, that's a good word. There's a, few, there's a few different sermons in there. But we're going to break it down here. So, therefore, my dear friends, he says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more so in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I thought about this. We, I mean, in high school, we, we used to... Coach would always leave the gym for a, for a amount of time. You know, he would leave the gym. He would go check on something. But he would usually give us an assignment before we left. And it usually was running a, a set of laps. Or not laps, but we call them lines or sprints. I don't know if you guys are familiar with those. But it's where you run from baseline to free throw line, from baseline back to baseline to half court, from half court back to – and you got to go back and forth the whole length of the floor from, from the whole thing, right? So it's like in amount of time. It usually gave us like 30 seconds to do it all. Right? So you got to run this whole thing in 30 seconds. If you don't get it in 30 seconds, there's going to be punishment, and it's going to be another set of lines for the whole team. So if one person doesn't make it, it's a whole new set of lines for everybody, and everybody just hates that. And what coach would do, he would, he would leave, and uh, he would say, okay, guys, you got, a, you got three sets of lines. Are you guys ready? I'm going to leave and head out. And, and so he, he would leave, and then we would do the lines. And this one time we did it, it was a little bit different. We usually always completed them. But this one time, there was something different that we didn't quite realize. And so he left, and he says, you guys have two sets of lines. you got to do it in 60 seconds. So here we go. No break in between. So we go. We're running. Free throw line, baseline, half court, baseline, other free throw line, baseline, full court, back to the baseline. That was one. Then we did it again, right? And, and he told us before, he said, if you guys don't get it, you're going to have to run four sets of lines. So everybody was like, okay, we have to get it. We're going to push right? So he leaves, and we run it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and then he comes back in, and um, to our surprise, there was a camera positioned on each baseline, a little GoPro on each baseline, and he looked at the footage right there, and he told us that we didn't touch our foot on the line. He said we cheated ourselves, and I thought that was interesting because how do you live your life when nobody is watching? Do you choose to touch all the lines? You know, I think sometimes we think that God isn't watching, or sometimes we kind of we kind of think that you know the authority or the person that you know we need to impress isn't in the room. And so, how do we live our lives? Do we live them with integrity? Do we touch every line, right? And Paul's saying here, he's saying this very specifically. He's saying, not only in my presence you have you obeyed, but how much more so when I'm not with you should you obey? right? When I'm here instructing you, when I'm here encouraging you, when I'm here pouring and edifying and teaching you up and building you up in the Lord Jesus Christ, when I'm here and you're obeying, well, when I'm not and there's a vacuum effect, you need to step up and obey all the more. You need to maintain the etiquette in the room because if you don't maintain the standard of excellence, no one else will. So as, as a captain, you know, you have to be very missional. You have to be very diligent in, in being specific in every line, every attempt, every shot, Showing and setting that standard. And so Paul's saying, he's telling the Philippians, you've got to set the standard for obedience. Be obedient when nobody else is in the room. 
Be obedient when you don't think anybody else is watching. Be obedient to the Lord Jesus because there is a call of God over your life. And he says this. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say continue to work for your salvation. Do you notice that? Like sometimes I read this verse and I'd be like, wait, work out your salvation. I thought it was already done. I thought this work was finished. I thought there was nothing to it, right? I thought Jesus had already done that. And he says, work out your salvation. It doesn't say work for. It says working out. I don't know if a lot of you had, you've ever taken pre-workout before. You go to the gym. You, you don't take pre-workout, Julia. So if you take out pre-workout, you, it's like a little, like they put some, I think it's caffeine, 250 milligram per shot. And they just fill you with this, this huge caffeine, and you just, you're filled with this energy, and like you have, to, you have to do something with it, right? And so it's like you take this, you take this pre-workout, and you just fill with this energy, and you just go crazy. You're bouncing off the walls. You're, just, you're, just, you're working out something that's already within. Does that kind of make sense? And so Paul's saying you've got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Who's doing the work? Not you. You're not doing it. It's God who works in you to what? To will and to do. Now, this is interesting because sometimes you have the desire, but you can't carry it out. How many of you are in that camp? God, I have a, I have a desire to do what you want. I have a desire and a will to, to want to do the thing that you have called me to do, but I just can't execute it. I just can't do it. I can't carry it out. I can't act. Look at this. This is crazy. God not only gives you the desire, but he gives you the act. He's the one who's behind the work. So he fills you with the desire. He works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure, not your own. Guys, that's, that's, in, that's entire, the responsibility of the work is the Holy Spirit within you. It has nothing to do with your own ability to do the work of God. It has nothing to do with your own effort or your own merit or your own earning. It's what God is doing within you, which the Bible calls Christ the hope of glory within when the Holy Spirit occupies the believer, what begins to occur is that we begin to have new desires, new ambitions, right? New goals, new dreams, new, 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 a new will where our mind is being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So our mind is being made new. Our desires are being renewed, not to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, right? So God is giving me, as I step into communion with the Holy Spirit, God is giving me new desires that align with the mind of Christ, right? So I'm constantly, as I behold him, I become transformed into the image and likeness of the Son. So if I can get with Jesus and I say, God, I have a desire to do this, but I need you to, I need you to, to carry it out. Like, I really, really want to have this, this new, and sometimes, look, sometimes in my life, I didn't feel like waking up and reading the Bible. I didn't feel like waking up and having communion with, with, with the Holy Spirit. I didn't feel like spending time in devotion, spending time in solitude and meditation upon the Word. I didn't feel like it. So I said, God, I need you to give me the desire. I don't feel like doing it. I need you to give me 
the desire and the will to do it. But don't just give me that. I want you to carry it out. I'm saying yes. I'm saying I want it. I'm saying I want to do it even. Won't you help me? You don't think God's going to come to your aid. The Holy Spirit's called a couple things. Friend, counselor, comforter, helper, right? You don't think the Holy Spirit wants to come to your aid and help you? You think you're struggling with something that you just have the inability to do? Friends, the Holy Ghost is called the helper. He's come to aid you. He's come to be by your side, to come to push you and propel you into that which God has for you. You are not left alone. You are not on your own. That is a great encouragement. That is a great word. That God hasn't abandoned you, but he has given you a guide to lead you through the storms, to lead you through the waters, to lead you through your own inability, your own inactivity. That God is the one who is doing it. He's working it. He's making it work. He's working it out. He's working it out. And faith is kind of like a muscle. The more you use it, the bigger it gets. Somebody say amen. I went to the gym the other day. I had my pre-workout. I made, I, said, I got a bench press almost 300 pounds. I'm not pushing. I'm not tooting my own horn, sister. I ain't tooting it. But I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> it was crazy. But what happens is repetition, right, when you continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, right, and you continue to do the, you know, increment steps, do the same thing in the routine, and you continue to do it and do it and do it, what happens is you, you, you grow. Whatever you use grows. Whatever you feed, right, grows. If you're feeding your fears, your fears are going to grow. If you're feeding your faith, your faith is going to grow. Whatever you give energy into, it's going to grow. So sometimes we're feeding thoughts that feed anxiety. We're feeding thoughts that feed depression. We're feeding these things and dwelling on these things. And the Holy Spirit is saying, I'm trying to renew your thinking. I'm trying to restore your image into the likeness of Jesus. I'm trying to do it, but you're not asking for help. Just come to me and I will give you the new mind. And so when you use when you begin to use your faith muscle and say, Holy Spirit, I'm believing you for this. Watch God show up and he'll build you up in the areas that you didn't think you could do on your own. It's an amazing promise in scripture. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. I always thought that was interesting. And maybe some of you have thought this, with fear? Is God a God of fear? I thought perfect love. I read the Bible. The Bible says perfect love casteth out all fear. What is this fear that the Bible's talking about? Yeah, have you ever thought about that? Like we're supposed to fear God. Like in what sense are we supposed to fear him? And the type of fear that Paul is talking about here is the type of fear that when pagans or unbelievers would come into, the pro- would come into contact or come into presence with the living God. Like when a priest would enter the most holy compartment, right, and the Shekinah glory above the, the seat of dwelling there would, would shine. There was, there was a reverence. There was an awe. And if there was such an awe for a believer or a God fear, how much more so would there be a trembling for someone who didn't believe, right? You come into contact with the creator God. The Old Testament paints a picture. What a, what a frightening thing to come in contact, to have an encounter with the mighty God, the living God. What an amazing thing. You see Moses come in contact with the burning bush, right? The presence of God is, is, is signified by this burning bush. It's the presence of God. 
and he comes in contact with the burning bush, and there's an awe that takes place. There's a, there's a trembling. There's a fear. There's a reverence. There's a, there's a holy wonder. And if believers have that, how much more so Paul is saying for pagans, he's saying you should have this fear, this, this wonder, this awe when you, when you are working out this salvation, when you are working it out in Christ Jesus. Now, it's also significant to note here that Paul is concerned about the Philippians' testimony and witness in Philippi. And so he wants them not so much to focus. Like, I think we read, me and Ian were talking about this earlier today. We were watching something by David Platt. But when you read, when you read Scripture, this is a Plattian. When you read Scripture, sometimes we ask the question, what is the Scripture saying to me? That's about the, the lowest question that you could ask yourself because it's not about you. In the Western world, it's all about you. In the Eastern world, it wasn't about you. It was about the family of faith, the community of God's people, what God was doing in the covenant community of faith. So we read the scripture. What is the scripture saying to me, we ask? What is the, what is the passage saying to me? That's the like, consummation of Bible study usually is people get together and they ask the question, well, what does this verse mean to you? What does it mean to me? And we get together and we talk all this nonsense about what it means to us when the question is, what did the Holy Spirit mean in the passage? That's what Platt, that's what Platt said. That's what he said, right? What, is the Holy, what did the Holy Spirit mean in the passage? There's only one meaning to the text. How it applies is a totally different story. God can apply the scripture in a multitude of ways and facets. But there's only one original intent in what the Holy Spirit had in mind to the original audience. And so in this text, Paul is talking to the Philippians, right, who are very uneasy about their, their Christian witness. And Paul doesn't want them to disenfranchise their Christian witness in Philippi, right, where they have a great influence among the people there. And he doesn't want them to retreat in their faith. He wants them to move forward. And he's giving them encouragement saying, don't be afraid. God is going to do it in you. God is going to work inside of you. God is the one who is going to give you the energy. Literally, the word for work out, it's the Greek energeo. It's where we get our word energy from. This is amazing. This is, this is true. Energeo. It's God. You take the pre-workout, Drew, who gives you the energy, the energeo, the one who works out, right? And that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. He's giving you the ability, right? He hasn't left you helpless, but he's giving you the aid to do this great work. And he's telling the Philippians, not specifically individually are they to do this, but as a whole, as the family of faith comes together, they're supposed to work out their salvation so that other people can see the family of faith living the call of God over their lives and become a witness to the surrounding community. But we make it all about us. We say it's about us, and how does the text apply to us? Well, what about, how does the text apply to us? Right? How does, it, so it's, 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 it's we, not me. How does it apply to us as a community of faith that are seeking to follow Jesus together? How is God working in and through his community to reach people in Portland? Have you been asking the Holy Spirit for more power? Have you been asking the Holy Spirit for more help? Have you been asking the Holy Spirit to give you the energeo of God? Have you been asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you 
the desires that you have or the desires that you lack. The things that you do versus the things that you don't do. Are you asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the things that God wants to instill in you so you can live out the mission of God in your life and in the city of Portland? Are you asking that question? And I thought it's important to note, like I mentioned before, the relig religion says do. You got to work for it. You got to perform. You got to do more. You got to battle. You got to go to work. You got to grind. You got to hustle. You got to push. You got to fight. You got to move. The gospel says it's done. I've already finished it. To tell us die. It is finished. The work is complete. It's Jesus' final words on the cross. It is finished. Where the gospel said, where the religion says, I need to obey in order to be accepted, what does the gospel say? I am accepted, therefore I will obey. I will listen. I will abide. I will move forward. I will follow the call of God over my life because. I come from a place where I've already experienced genuine acceptance. It's amazing. There is no life transformation that will ever happen unless you have experienced full, unconditional acceptance. When you experience the, 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 the acceptance of God in your life, that despite your flaws, despite your sins, that Jesus died on the cross for you while you were still a sinner, Christ died. When you begin to understand that grace over your life, how can you not want to obey? How can you not want to abide? How can you not want to move forward with the call of God? When he paid such a great price for you, the cost that we have to pay, it's so little in comparison to the surpassing greatness that he paid on the cross. It's incredible. The gospel says, I am already accepted, therefore I, I will obey. And so Paul, he doesn't want to be misunderstood here that we have to work for. So he says, God has committed himself to affecting their obedience. He has committed himself to working this faith out. And so if you're going to walk worthy of the call, you need to know two things. Who you are and whose you are. See, I think when I step into the reality of knowing who God made me to be, I operate from a place of confidence. I operate from a place of abundance. But until I know who I am and whose I am, I will fail to live out the call of God because I'm living from a place of insecurity, not knowing who I really am, and I will be custom and, and conform to every which way pattern and thinking out there in the world, and the world has a lot of things that they want you to be. Christ said, this is what you are, and you can choose who you can be, or you can accept the identity that I have given you, right? You can accept this reality, or you can accept the voices all around you be this, do that, know this, have that. But once I know who Christ says that I am, redeemed, blameless, faultless, guiltless, no condemnation, right? A son, a daughter, royal priesthood. Once I know, man, I'm royal priesthood. I got some royalty in my veins. Like I can, I can walk boldly. I can walk confidently knowing that this is who I am. And now this dictates this. Identity dictates behavior. Right believing dictates right what? Behavior. Right living. Right theology determines how I live my life. Right? If I have a wrong idea about God, how, what's that, what's that going to affect? It's going to affect how I live that out. If I believe God is a God of judgment, 
I'm going to condemn and criticize and judge others. If I believe God is a God of hate, I'm going to hate and look down upon and scorn others. If I believe that, it's, it's crazy. What we believe theologically determines how we behave pragmatically. It really, it really does. What you believe is pro- about God is possibly one of the most important things about you. Because if you believe something that's not true, and this is why it's so important not to go with feelings. Sorry, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here, but this is why it's so important not to believe about feelings. Because, no, no, because if I go with my feeling, my feelings are like this, right? Man, I feel alone. I feel abandoned. I feel left out. I feel afraid. I feel rejected. God, you rejected me. I'm living in depression, and I just feel like I can't feel you, and so I must be alone and separated from you. God, where are you? David cries out in the Psalms, God, 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 my soul. He's crying out. He's crying out, saying, where are you? Why are you so downcast? Why are you so afraid? Put your hope in God. Trust in God. Believe in God for more. Where are you? And David's experiencing this this isolation or what seems like a removal of the presence of God from his life. But is God really absent from David's situation? No. Is God really absent from your situation ever? No. But you feel like he is. But this is why Jesus is with me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Not religion. Not culture. Not society, not feelings, not emotions, not Instagram, right? Not not Twitter, not Facebook, not politics, not Donald Trump, not whoever doesn't determine. You see what I'm saying? Doesn't determine the trajectory. This determines the trajectory of your life. Build Build your foundation on the rock, on the word, which is Christ. Because if you build on a firm foundation, everything else... I have a place to land. Everything else. But if I don't know who I am, how can I build? How can I move forward? How can I strengthen? Do you see what I'm saying? You have to know whose you are and who you are if you're going to walk worthy of the call of God over your life. Matthew 20 says Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many, that you are no longer your own, but that you belong to someone who paid a price with his blood, the most expensive gift that any person could ever give, infinite, eternal blood for you. That's incredible. That blows my mind. What a cost. Are you walking worthy of the call of God? over your life. Drew, you can come up. You can come up. I'm closing right now, baby. Give me a little ditty in the back. <laughs> give, me a little, give me a little ditty. So this, this text here, the issue is Paul is saying that there being God's people in Philippi, they have a corporate responsibility to live individually, but also to live together. Because in order for us to live together in God's purpose and calling, to work this out, we need to be responsible living individually. The strength of the community is only as good as what? The individual. If each individual is lacking, the community will be lacking. If each individual is strong, the community will be strong. So are you taking time to diligently pursue the presence of God in your life? 
Are you taking the time? And he says, it's not according to, it's according to his good pleasure. His good pleasure. Well, isn't that like a little bit like self-serving? Like, God, it's your good pleasure. Your good pleasure. Like, what about us? So we kind of paint God as like a hedonistic, kind of narcissistic. It's all about him. But the amazing thing is that he is a good God. And the good pleasure isn't capricious. It's not, it's not self-serving. It's not hedonistic. It's actually otherness. That his good pleasure is to see you full of the Holy Spirit. To see you living out this life that is filled with joy and passion and Holy Spirit power. That's the life that God wants to do, to will in you. And it's according to his good pleasure that he loves you and serves you and blesses you. God is a God of otherness. He's a God of love. He extends himself in relationship, and that's the good God that he is. And it says in verse, 13, in verse 15, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out on the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in labor for nothing. Are you living like a star? No, that's Paul, Pauline vernacular. Are you living like a star? Are you shining for Jesus? Are you shining with the Holy Ghost? Because there's supposed to be something so peculiar and different about your life that contrasts with everything else in the world around you. There is something so unique that God has placed in you that will shine so differently and the world would notice in a crooked and depraved generation that you may be children of God. And that word there, it's interesting, the same word that is used for grumbling, talking about the children of Israel moving through the wilderness and they were grumbling to, to, to Moses. They were grumbling against God and they wanted to go back to their former ways. They wanted to go back. They said they were grumbling about the food and the manna, and they were saying, God, like, I, I, we're, we're tired of this manna. Like, we're done with it. Like, we want to go back to the way things were. And Paul is intentionally using this word grumbling to showcase that going back into Egypt isn't the answer. Going back into slavery isn't the option. That we can't grumble and complain and wish things were better we have to move forward in faith, believing that they will be. That God wants you to move forward in faith in order to transcend and transform the nations, the lands, the, the Canaanites, the Anakites, the, the foreign lands that you are going to enter in faith. God wants you to know there's no room for grumbling. There's no room for complaining. You have a mission on your life. And just like the children of Israel, they had a call of God to showcase the glory of God to all the surrounding nations. And they had to move forward in faith, believing God for more. Don't complain. Don't grumble. You have a special calling on your life. And you need to start believing, start acting, start repenting, start praying that God would reveal to you his desire for your life both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Let's pray.
Father God, we want to thank you, Jesus, for the word of Scripture, and we want to we want to just thank you, God, for what you're doing in us and through us. And Father, we just surrender our lives. We just lay our lives down. We, we know that we aren't our own. We know that we were bought with the price, the price that heaven had to pay. So Father, right now, we're just, wherever we're seated right now, God, in our heart of hearts, we're asking you, God, to do this work which we cannot do. Reveal to us the desires that we lack. Reveal to us where our will is weak. Give us new desires right now, Holy Spirit. Give us a new will. Give us a new mind. And I pray, Father, that we would just continue to believe the most in you. We would believe that you're a good father. And you will sustain us in this season. You will move and work and do all that you can do. And we trust in you, Jesus. Amen.